I want you to cast your minds back. Cast your minds back through to a time when you knew that God was real. A time where maybe he answered a prayer. Maybe you saw something supernatural take place. Maybe you know someone who was sick who was healed. Maybe you prayed for the circumstances to change or something to change within you, and that took place. And the only way that that could take place was through the supernatural God that loves you. I want you to think of that just for a moment. For some, that may take some more work. For some of us, things jump to mind straight away. For some of us, we're still waiting for that, for that moment. But to do that, we've got to think back. To to remember those times when God showed himself to us, proved himself, although he shouldn't need to, but sometimes we need the evidence. We see it in Scripture. But there's been times in our lives when God has shown himself to his church and to his people. To, do, to remember, we've got to think back. Because right now, life is very different. Life is, is very uncertain. And so we begin today a brand new series, The God of the Past, the Present, and the Future. Today, as we talk about God of the Past, we're, we're looking at how sometimes we need to look back in order to see God's character so that we can see that God is the same yesterday and today, but also tomorrow. He is the God of the past, the present, and the future, who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so today I invite you to join us on this three-week series as we look back at some of our own journeys, but also in Scripture, to see who God is and the promises and the truths that he said in the past that we can take on today. Today, as we we look at Scripture, I want us to to realize that each and every one of us have things that get in the way of what God wants us to do, things that we may be hanging on to that aren't right, things that that are our comfort zone, things that are our security blankets, things that are our go-to when things get tough. Now, I know one of the things that I, I tend to go to when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, is that I love movies. I love watching TV. I find it just tunes me out. It can be dangerous as well. But one of the things that I decided to do in, in isolation was instead of just watching mind-numbing, as much as I love mind-numbing movies and TVs, I decided to do something and watch some things that were going to help educate me and make me a better person, make me a better Christian. And to ease my way into this change of scenery in what I've been watching online, I started to watch a series on Egypt. Now, I've always loved Egypt, always. It's on my bucket list. One day I would love to go to Egypt and sort of package that with a Holy Land tour, would love to do that, love to see the pyramids and, and the, the carvings and the history. I've always loved Egypt. Now, one of the things about Egypt and, and loving Egypt is you get to know a little bit about Egypt. And, and when you look at ancient Egypt, 
you realise that much like we have, they had things that they went to, that they were dependent on, that maybe weren't the the greatest things to, to hang on to. For example, they had a bunch of gods. There was a god called Hept. And Hept was the god that was known for the Nile River. You'll see an image of him come up on the screen. And and Hept seemed to have this this idea of reeds that, that are above his head. And often the Egyptian gods would have a symbol above their head that would represent what they are the god of or to be known by. And the reeds that, that come above this god's head represents the Nile River. It was the god that the people would pray to when they wanted the, the river to flood for irrigation. It was also the god that they would pray to when they wanted fish. Another god that they would pray to, another thing that they would hide behind was Hekt. That's the best name to say, Hekt, H-E-Q-T. Hekt was the, the goddess of fertility. And so when it was time for their, their cattle to have babies and for, for harvest, they would pray to this, this goddess who just also had the face of a frog. Geb was the, the god of the dust or the earth, and Geb has a, a, a bird above his head, and the birds would be the birds that they would see in the fields, and they would pay, pray to this god. But also there was probably the best-known god even today that people, when they think of Egyptian gods, they would say Ra. And Ra was the sun god and had this symbol of a, a round oval or a sun above his head. But furthermore, the Egyptians also believed that their pharaoh was also a god and was the ambassador between them and the gods. And so pharaoh was known to have supernatural powers, could never do anything wrong. Anything he said was law, but more than law, it was from the gods. He was their ambassador. And when pharaoh passed away, he would pass on that power, that anointing, that they believed that he had to his son, the heir. And so there's a little bit of history there of Egypt, a little bit of the the culture that they lived in, the things that they hung on to. If things were going tough, they would pray to this god of the Nile. If they they wanted the the dirt, if it was crop season, they would pray to the the god of the dirt and the god of fertility to to bring amongst the harvest so that they would have food. And they they just hung on to these things and they didn't want to let go. I wonder what things we hang on to. What things are we hanging on to even now in the season of life that we're in, in the, the state of the world, what are we hanging on to? that maybe we need to let go and give to God. As we open up Scripture, we're looking at the book of Exodus and in chapter 1, and and when we first dive in, what's happened is we see that actually God had saved Egypt from a huge famine. For seven years, there was no food, there there was nothing to eat, but because of God's provision, Egypt had stockpiled and actually became the superpower that we read about in Exodus because of God's hand through a man known Joseph. And so when we look at Exodus chapter, chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Now Joseph and all his brothers that, that gathered had died. 
But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. A new king, a new pharaoh, who, to whom Joseph meant nothing, had forgotten to pass on the stories of the past, came to power over Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far more numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if a war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them into forced labor, and they built Pittim and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. You can still see uh, the city of Ramses today. Now, as much as they tried to oppress God's people, God's people kept going to God and praying to him, and God kept blessing them, even though they're in a different land. And it gets to the point where Pharaoh doesn't know what to do. And rather than saying, hey, I should follow your God and and go to, to see what's causing this incredible growth within your nation, they're hanging on to their false gods. And out of that, they make some terrible decisions. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, then Pharaoh gave his order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. A mass genocide, murder, takes place. As the Pharaoh is wrestling and hanging on to the things that aren't true, not knowing what to do. And it's in this world that we see a character emerge. God's people are doing what they can and there's this mother and a, daughter and a sister and this son that is born. And the mother's trying to keep him quiet and hiding him and, and his sister would take him out when the inspections were taking place through the houses and he gets to this age where they can't keep him quiet anymore. They can't hide this baby boy. And so the mother is taking him down to the Nile because the sand of the river may cover some of the crying and takes this baby and puts it in a woven basket and covers it with a tar, like a pitch, and and puts it in the river and all of a sudden her child is out of her control and she places him in the water and and this, this basket floats down the Nile. The mother gives instructions and the, the sister is watching this basket float. And through the hands of God, where would that basket end up? Well, no other, but the Pharaoh's daughter sees this basket floating past and gets a servant. Go and get that. What's in that? Hey, it's a baby. Wow, that's pretty cool. I'm going to keep it. Because when you're a princess, you can do that. And then straight away, she goes, but, but how, how do I raise a baby? I don't know how to raise a baby. Out of the, the reeds emerges this young girl saying, hey, I know someone who can raise a baby. She's, she could be like a midwife. And the princess goes, great idea. You go raise the baby until it's old enough that, that I can teach it stuff. And so under the protection of Pharaoh... In Egypt, the mother of this baby was able to raise her Hebrew child in safety, in protection, and is being paid to do so. Wow. Wow. Amazing story. A little bit later, in verse 10 of chapter 2, 
And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, as Moses grew up, he made some good decisions. He also made some pretty bad decisions. And as a consequence of one of the, the, the poor decisions that he made, he, was, he, he left, he fled Egypt. And for 40 years, he was not in Egypt anymore. And he's, he's found a wife and he started a family. And while he's there, he's, he's in this this space where all of a sudden he's on this mountainside and he sees a bush that erupts into flames, but it's not burning up, not being consumed. And so Moses goes to inspect this. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, he hears his voice says, Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And now Moses, who's been rescued ever since he was born, led by God's hand to a place where, where he was raised in, in, by, by, in the, the, the palace of Pharaoh, is now face to face with a holy God, saying, I have a plan for you. I have, I have instructions for you. And, and as you know the story, for those that have grown up with this, he, he wrestles back and forth with God about what he's meant to do. But just to make sure he knew who it was that was calling him, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses, realizing who it was, he fell to his face because he was afraid to look at God and bask in God's holiness. You see, God is calling Moses and for the entirety of Moses' life, he would remember that moment when he had that encounter with God, when he saw that bush burst into flames. But that's not the end of the story. That was when God showed himself, but there was more. There was a calling. There was a purpose that God would use Moses to achieve something that was far greater than himself. And that was to rescue God's people from slavery. How would he do that? We read in Exodus 8, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, who was was another character in this story, to stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds and makes frogs come up on the land of Egypt. You see, they go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, you need to let all these people go. And Pharaoh goes, but... This is my workforce. These are my slaves. I I can't build these giant cities and these storehouses like we had without these helpers. What are we going to do? And Moses goes, well, I don't know, but you need to let my people go. God is saying, let my people go. Pharaoh's hanging on going, no, I can't. I can't. I won't. And one by one, not only does God send a huge plague, 
But by sending the plague, he destroys the Egyptian gods that Egypt was hanging on to. Not only does he send a plague of frogs, but he chooses frogs because they have the same face as the goddess that everyone's hanging on to. If you want to see what fertility looks like, imagine not being able to step anywhere without stepping on a frog. We are talking God has shown his power and in showing his power has destroyed the thing that Egypt is hanging on to in such an incredible way. And one by one, the sky goes dark and Ra is silence. We see that the, the crops are eaten up just back to dirt and dust. We see that the river is turned to blood and all the fish die. We see one by one by one by one that the ten major gods that Egypt hang on to are totally destroyed by the God that Moses listened to and the God that we listen to. In Exodus 3, Moses, before the plagues take place, Moses goes, to God, who should I tell everybody who I am? Like, I've, I've run off. Who am I? What kind of person am I, am I to, to bring this message? Who, who should I tell them that has sent me? In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And God said to to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. From generation to generation, I am the God of the past, present, and future. I am the God of your ancestors, but I am also the God of the future. I am the God that transcends time. Before the earth was to be, I was. And after the earth ends, I will be. I am so much bigger. Why would you hang on to something small when you can embrace the God of all eternity, the Creator? Moses shares this, but if we fast forward, we see that this is the origin of the I am statements that God says, I am. But if you think of that word, I am, it's quite familiar to us because of the New Testament. We read in John 8, verse 58, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Time and time again, Jesus refers to himself as I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. You see, the beauty of looking back and seeing how God used Egypt and this story, not just in that moment in history, but throughout the entirety of Scripture, that he continues to point back to this moment and say, remember what I did. Remember what I did in Egypt. Remember how I defeated all those Egyptian gods. Remember that when I showed my power to rescue my people. Remember that. Remember I am. Remember I am. And then Jesus comes along and goes, I am. Remember, I am. And in Acts chapter 2, he sends his Holy Spirit and says, for the whole of eternity, into the future, I am, and I will live in you. I am. But don't forget what I did in the past. Don't forget what I did in Egypt. 
I want to challenge us this week to, to remember this. There has been moments in our lives where God has shown himself to us, when God has revealed something to us, when God has proven himself to us. We've got to remember that he is the God of the past. We've got to remember those moments because when we are weak, when we are failing, when things are falling apart around us, we've got to remember that he is true, he is for us. Remember what he did in Egypt, remember what he did in your life. There was a a member, and I won't share his name, I don't want to embarrass him, within our church who for six months turned up to church every single Sunday for six months. He would catch up with small groups and and with some of the other men from the church on -on one-on-one conversations, wrestling through this, this idea of, I want to believe in God, but I just don't know. I just don't know. I had the privilege of going out for a coffee with him and hearing his life story. He goes, I want to believe. I just, I haven't experienced what people are talking about. But for six months, he faithfully turned up to church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I was so excited earlier this year when he, he came to the front for prayer after the service with a tear in his eye just saying, I felt him. There was something that took place within the service that God said, I'm real. This is what you've been waiting for. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm here. And, and, and it just changed him. It's the joy, the, the excitement, the wow, this is real. This isn't made up. This is meant to be. This is true. Remember in Jeremiah, and I think Lise quoted this. He's sitting over there. He quoted this last week, I believe. Awesome message. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, if you seek for me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart, this guy did, and he did find him. And God did show up. And I want to say that if you are still waiting for that encounter, keep pursuing it, because God is faithful. He's faithful in the Old Testament. He's faithful in the New Testament. He's faithful today, and he's faithful into the future. But for those of us that have had those encounters in life, those of us that have been walking our Christian journey for, for a long time, I want you, to, want you to know that it's so important that we look back and we remember the faithfulness of our God. We remember what God has done in the past. Because when things are shaky, that's when we need that the most, that reassurance. But just like Moses, when God showed up in the burning bush, it's not just about him. God has a purpose and a calling on our lives. Not all of us are called to rescue an entire nation from slavery. What we can do is share the stories that God has given us. Firstly, I want us to stop and think of a time when God showed himself to us. I want us to start to share those stories of what God did. Share them with other people. Share them with groups. And I want us to stand on that foundation because that is such an important thing. We see in Egypt, they stood on that foundation time and time again. Deuteronomy 6, don't forget what we did in Egypt as you go into the promised land. Don't forget when we look back at what God did. Don't forget those things. And when they did forget, that's when things went wrong. Pharaoh forgot. The whole country got put into slavery. The Israelites forgot. 40 days in the wilderness. It's so important that we look back and we remember the faithfulness of God and we share those stories. Youth leaders, this one's for you. I'm going to give you away one of my secrets 
any time I walk into a, a youth group and they're not sure what to do, have they got to kill some time? I've probably done this about 30 times. It works every single time. If I walk into a youth group and, and the leader doesn't turn up or is sick or something goes wrong or, or people are run out of content, not sure what to do, or I always ask this same question. I've got a number of them, but this is probably my favorite one. I ask the teenagers, how do you know God is real? That's it. How do you know God is real? And just let the conversation go. And, and out of the, the mouths of teenagers, these incredible pearls of wisdom, that these God moments, that the wrestle and the vulnerability of some people, I'm still not sure, I'm still working it out. And then somebody will say, but what about? And they'll start defending the faith and their own experiences. And it's this rich, rich moment as people just share their faith with one another. And I want to say, if emotionally unstable teenagers can do it, we can do it too. If teenagers that are still trying to work out when their voice is breaking and how these new arms work, because they're all growing at different paces, if they can have these amazing God conversations, then as adults and as children, how much more can we do that? I want to encourage us to share the stories, to ask the question and share it with one another because it is so rich. And just like we see what took place in Egypt, then you stand on that foundation of the promises of God because you look back. And we stand on those foundations of who he is. He is the God of the past. He's also the God of the present, God of the future. Stop and think. Start to share and stand on those foundations. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, This morning as we come to worship you, I pray that we would quieten ourselves down. We would cast our minds back to that moment where we first encountered the cross, when we first encountered your grace, or maybe a time when we were wrestling with a decision and you just showed yourself in a way that we weren't expecting and we probably didn't deserve. Lord, these incredible encounters with a a creator of the universe that, that wants to spend time with us, help us not to keep these to ourselves. Help us to share these with our friends, with our families, with those around us. And as we share these stories of an incredible loving God that have taken place in us, may we also listen to your faithfulness in others. And as this builds a foundation and a picture of you, may we stand on that. That a loving God, the God that we see, his hand and power in the Old Testament, is the same God that we pray to today that wants to deliver us from the things that bind us, that that wants to break through the things that we hang on to that aren't meant to be there. May we not be like the Egyptians that stood behind their false gods. May we allow you to break through those things and show your power in our life. And may we hang on to the truth that you are the God that is above all things 
the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the God of the past, the present, and the future. And Lord, with that, we pray that we would see the hope that we have in you, the hope of things to come, the hope of the end of this virus, the hope of being able to spend time with one another once again, knowing that our hope isn't based on our understanding or our doing, but our hope is fixed on you. Lord, we pray these things in your precious Son's name.